Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, thank you so much again for being with us. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope we can be an encouragement to you. It's good to be together as a church family, to be together to worship God. In just a few minutes, we'll go into our Bible class time together to study even more in the Word of God. And if you're a guest, we'd invite you uh, to one of those Bible classes. We have about 12 or 13 adult classes and classes for all age children. We'd love to help you find the right class for you. We really would love to have the opportunity to study God's Word together with you and each other, encourage each other uh, to live and walk and serve God. Great expectations. I don't know of anybody that says, I like to be a part of things that are only small. I'd like for my life to not count for very much. I would love to live a life that doesn't make an impact upon anyone. I'd love for my life to not go any further in influence than just the days that I live. No, on the other hand, I would think most people want to be a part of something much greater than themselves. They want to be a part of something where they could impact not only their life, but also others' life and even generations to come. We'd like to know that our life can make even an impact beyond this life, but even into eternity. You know, we've been thinking about the, the great mighty oak tree that first begins as just an acorn. And it is really hard to imagine in one sense that within that acorn is just this, this ability, if it's placed in the proper environment and given enough time, it can grow into a mighty oak tree. A tree that could grow 50 to 90 feet tall. A tree that could weigh thousands of pounds. A tree that the fruit of this acorn could literally produce the flooring in your house or many pieces of furniture in your house. Or one acorn can produce a tree that one tree in one season can produce 10,000 acorns. You see, we see the fact that there is a great expectation within something as small as the acorn. Think about what God has planned for you. Think about if we come to God and we allow God to do His work in us. Think about what He has planned. Now, I would dare say that any of us would ever fully understand it and even see the fruit of our life within our lifetime. But won't it be neat to be able to go into eternity? And if God chooses to show us how our life, coupled with God, was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, it's amazing to think that God has great expectations of each one of us here. So what if we spent 52 weeks this year addressing the topic of what is God's great expectations of us and for us? So if you walk in off the street and you say, I really don't know much about God, but I'd like to learn and I would like to even live and serve God. Can you tell me what I need to know? We spent the last several weeks talking about the first thing that we have to do is we have to decide if we're going to choose God. We looked at that example of Joshua where Joshua said to the individuals, you can go back and choose to serve the gods of Egypt or you can serve the gods of the Amorites. Or he said in Joshua 24 and verse 7, he encouraged them to serve God. Choose you this day. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. And then he closed it out by saying, my house has already made our decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We looked at Psalm, the first chapter, that this is an intentional decision. The tree wasn't a wild tree. 
that grew in Psalms, the first chapter. In Psalm, the first chapter, it was a tree that had been planted. If you and I, if we are going to choose God, we are choosing where to plant our life. Now that brings us to a study of David. You remember when we studied David being chosen as the next king to replace Saul, Samuel went in and he looked at all the brothers that David had and God told him, you probably are picking out the wrong one because you're looking as man would look naturally. Samuel was a man. And so he explained to him that men tend to look on the outer person. But he says, God looks upon the heart. As we choose God and we plant our life in God and in his will, I need to realize that God wants all of us. God is not saying, outwardly, I want you to look like a religious person. And that'd be great. Being a religious person is good. Giving some time to God is good. But listen, what God wants is God wants you, your heart, your life. Will you plant you? Will you choose God and plant you in the will of God? Well, how do we do that? The last lesson we looked at this was the parable of the four types of soil. Each person here is one of those types of soil. The seed was the Word of God. And there were three souls that were negative in the sense that they did not grow and bear fruit. But there was one soul that was called naturally the good soul. And the good soul received the seed and it allowed the plant to grow and it grew all the way to the point of fruition. It bore great fruit. So... What's God's great expectation for you? This morning, if you have not chosen God to plant your life in the will of God, to plant you, to accept God's Word, His will into your life and allow Him to grow you, allow Him to bear fruit through you, if you haven't done that, that's what we'd urge you to do this morning. At the end of this lesson, we'll sing a song of encouragement, and we would love to assist you in choosing God. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know, I've never chosen God, but I don't really know how to choose God. I need some more information. We would love to sit down and just study more of what it looks like to plant our life in the will of God. But at this point, let's address this lesson from here forward saying... What if everyone here has chosen God? And then we would say, what is the next great expectation that God would have for us? What is the next thing? If you're going to open the Scripture, which is the will of God, the Word of God, if you're going to open the Scripture and say, what's going to be the next thing that God expects of us? I would suggest to you that the next thing would be love all. God expects us to love, to love Him, to love others, to love ourselves, even to love others when they are our enemy. And I believe that that should be the next thing that we would say God expects of us. Now, hopefully there's someone here bold enough to say, Preacher, that's pretty bold. Why, why, why would you choose to say that's the next thing? Because haven't we all heard people say, Oh, you can't say that one passage is better than another passage because they're all inspired of God. So I like it that you ask the question, where did that come from? You know, when I think about 
Where did that come from? I think about if you are a parent, you remember when your children were like five, six, seven years old, and usually it's when a lot of other people are around and they ask you that question, where do babies come from? You know, is that real? And I, I saw a picture this, line, this week online that I thought, really, I wish I'd have had whenever my children asked, uh, where do babies come from? Here, here's a pretty good description of, of where babies come from. Maybe you might want to try that. But let, let's go back. Let's go back to that, that idea. Where does it come from? Because really, not only is it a fair question, it's a very important question. Because if we're talking about, if you're going to come to the Lord and if you're going to choose God, and then you say, okay, I'm going to choose God. What's the next thing I need to know? It is a bold thing to say, this is the next thing you need to know. Love. Whoa, whoa, why, why love? Hey, the way I grew up, the most important thing was true doctrine. Hey, well, my generation, the most important thing is tolerance for all. Hey, for me, the most important thing is social justice. We've got to cure world hunger. For me, the most important thing is we've got to take care of planet Earth, Mother Nature. Why are we going to say that love is most important? It might be out of a crowd this size, if we ask individuals what was most important to them, we might literally get a hundred different answers. So why does one guy get to stand up here today and say, no love is? Was well, because it didn't come from me. Open your Bible, if you will, to Mark the 12th chapter, and let's allow the Lord to tell us what is first of all. In Mark, the 12th chapter, we're going to pick up in just a moment in verse 28. If you look at the paragraph previous to that, you're going to see that the Sadducees had been drilling Jesus a little bit, trying to trick him, to trip him up, if you will. And, and then when they were not successful, the scribe, I guess, thought, hey, this is a great opportunity. The, the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees had failed, so let's see if we can jump in and, and, and make Jesus look a little bit foolish, undermine his authority. And so in Mark, the 12th chapter, one of the scribes came, and this verse 28, one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Now pause there for a moment. He's not asking chronologically because if he was, I assume at this point, Jesus would say, well, the first one was in the garden where God commanded not to eat of the fruit that's in the midst of the garden. The, the, the tree in the midst of the garden. And, and, and yet, that's not what he did. And so when he answered something else, what does he mean by first? He's talking about first and foremost. In other words, first in ranking, first in priority. What is the first commandment? And, and you know how sometimes somebody will ans ask you a question and it's not really the question you want to answer, so you give an answer, but it's not an answer to the question? Notice how Jesus places an emphasis on the front end of his answer and the back end of his answer to say, hey, you ask me a question about the most important? You ask me a question about the first? He's going to begin his answer by saying, I'm going to give you the first. He gives the answer and he closes it by saying, by the way, I just gave you the first. Look here in verse 29. Jesus answered, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. He's pretty clear, wasn't he? 
He wanted to make sure that they knew you ask a question and you wanted a rank, you wanted a priority, you wanted to know. In other words, think about this. Jesus had many people following him by this time. You can imagine people were coming to him, asking him questions in the arena or in the environment of, hey, you are a master. In other words, you are a teacher. You have followers. If we are going to choose you, if we're going to choose you, and we said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to become a disciple of yours, what would you tell us then is next? What would be the first thing, the most important, the highest priority that we need to do? And he says, okay, I can tell you the first. First, you need to know who God is and that he's one. And within that answer, if you understand that he's one, you need to understand that he expects you to be one in relation and dedication to him. Israel, he's one God. Are you going to be one in your devotion to him? Now, let's ask this question again. Where did that come from? Now, it's fair if you say, well, Jesus said it, and that's good enough with me, and I'd have to say, right on. That's why we ought to believe that that is true. Jesus said it. But when we see still where it came from, it might even help us make a little bit better application to our own lives today. You know that Jesus was a faithful Jew, and he is speaking here to others who are Jews. Do you know that when Jesus said this, it would not have been any kind of surprise that they would say, oh, I've never heard that verse. I've never read that teaching. If there were any passages of Old Testament Scripture that a faithful Jew would have known probably better than any other passage. You know how today you can, you can almost run John 3.16 by anybody? And they're like, oh, oh yeah, I know that. That's one of my favorite verses. For God shall love the world. This would have been that type of verse. You could have gone to any Jew and, and they would have referred to this as Shema. This was a, a prayer that, I'm not saying it was written necessarily as a prayer, but I'm saying in their tradition, this was the first prayer that children learned to pray. Every adult, would say this first thing in the morning and last thing in the evening. Almost every religious service that they had, at some time, this would be read or said. At the great day of atonement, once a year, this was a part of what is and what was said at that time. In other words, when we say, Jesus, that, that answer, where does it come from? Remember, he's still living in the Old Covenant times when he's saying this because the Old Covenant wasn't fulfilled and the New Testament did not come in to force and to Christ's death upon the cross. So let's back up and look at Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, that when Jesus said this, they would have literally been living under this covenant and it really gives some, some great insight to us. Look in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, and in verse four. Notice how he says... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today 
shall be in your heart. <clears throat> you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Why did the Jews choose to call this? And I'm not, telling, I'm not saying to you God said call it this, but why did they choose to call it Shema? The Hebrew word is Shema, and our English word is right there in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Here. That is literally the Hebrew word for here. It's not something unique to this passage. It's used over a thousand times in the Old Testament. In Hebrew culture, they would have strongly associated the idea of doing with the word hearing. Now, in our Western culture, we do that pretty regularly, but we also quickly associate the idea of, of, of a mental exercise. Like if, if someone talks to you about hearing, we sometimes think about, I'm sitting in a lecture, I'm going through a mental exercise, I'm hearing. But if you think about it from the concept of being a parent, how many times have you told your child to do something and then you come back a few minutes later and it's still not done, and what do you say to them? Were you listening to me? Did you hear me? Do you see here this passage when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of the commandments? He starts by saying, hear God, but know this, you're hearing, in other words, listening, obeying, doing, your hearing can't be a split allegiance. Hear God. Notice the rest of that. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now when we read this out in the New Testament, you can make an argument perhaps, and, and a lot of people have, and I'm just saying we need to be careful with this, but you can make an argument perhaps because here is God on earth, Jesus Christ, and we know that while he was on earth, he prayed to God the Father and even promised when I ascend into heaven, I'll send God the Spirit to you. And so sometimes when we read it out of the New Testament, we'll say this, this is a great passage that shows us about the Trinity of God, that there is one God in three persons. As beautiful and as true as I believe that is, keep in mind in Deuteronomy the sixth chapter when Israel was hearing this, that probably wasn't on their radar at all. So I'm saying that to say this. Why did he say it then? When he says, I want you to hear God and I want you to know that God is one. I believe that what he is saying there is he's making it clear to them. Because keep in mind, we're reading Deuteronomy. Moses has led the children of Israel after 40 years of wilderness wandering. He's led this generation back up to the edge of Canaan land. They're about to go over into Canaan land, and he wants to remind them to not make the mistakes that their forefathers had made. Their forefathers had made mistakes and split allegiance. Remember, it's the very same people that he's saying this to that years later Joshua would say to them what we've already read today in, in Joshua 24th chapter. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And someone says, oh, I tell you what I want to do, I want to do, I want to serve 
God. But also, I like some of those pagan, I like some of those gods back in Egypt, and I'd like to serve some of them too. And you know, I look at the Amorites, and I see some of the sensual ways of their gods, and I think I want to serve some of them too. And this is God's way through Moses saying, wait a minute. Here is the idea of a submissive listening in order to do or to live. Hear this, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Someone says, "Uh, how do you know that's what he's speaking about? Well, I can't tell you I know 100% sure, but I'll tell you what, it fits with the context. If you go back and read Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter and the sixth chapter, notice how in Deuteronomy, the fifth and the sixth chapter, he begins in the fifth chapter by talking about the Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments, Do you remember the first and second commandment? Turn back there with me, if you will. Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. Look in in verse 6. I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, now to the house of bondage. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in earth beneath or that's on the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, that's language like we just read over there. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God. That's the same kind of language there. Why are we not bowing down to other gods? For the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father upon the children of the third and fourth generation, those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God always links together the idea of choosing Him, of hearing and obeying Him because we love Him. But we must understand that God's teaching to us about loving Him is a a love that is undivided. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll see somebody dating and you'll say, hey, are, are you guys dating really seriously? And somebody say, oh, no, no, we're dating other people too. Oh, so that means they can go out with you on Friday night and if they want to go out with somebody else on Saturday night and like them more, you just got to live with it, right? I mean, that's kind of what that means. What's marriage? We understand what marriage is supposed to be. Marriage is supposed to be a commitment, a covenant where you say, I have chosen you. And I am not going to choose others to divide my allegiance. I have chosen you. What is God asking of us? God is asking, choose me. And as you choose me, I want you to know that I'm one God. And that allegiance cannot be divided. So hear me, Israel, and choose me. But now notice this. In Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter... In verse 6, he told us where he wanted those words to be kept. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. But then notice, once we choose God, and once we love God with our heart and our soul and our strength, he says, now I want that love and that commitment to go to your heart, but then I want you to turn to the next generation, and I want you to teach them, see in verse 7, teach them diligently. But then he says, I also want you to talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by your way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. 
And then he says in 8 and 9, you shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And he says, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You see that not only did he give them the command, Israel, I'm one. Oh, and by the way, Israel, what I want from you is I want all of you. How much, God? I want you to love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. In other words, no divided allegiance. And I want you to take that to the heart. And I want you to take it and teach it to the next generation. And I also want it to become, now are you listening to this? I want it to become your life. I want it to be what's on your mind first thing in the morning and last thing at night. What, what do you want on the mind? I want you to think about me being one God. I want you to think about you wholly devoting yourself to me, the one God. In other words, when you sit around your house, there ought to be talk about this. When you go about your way, there ought to be talk about this. When you say, what am I going to teach my children? This ought to be what you teach your children. And to help you remember it, I want you to post it a few places. I want you to post it between your eyes. I want you to post it on your arm. I even want you to post it in the doorpost of your house. In other words, God wants this message to constantly be before us and in us and a part of our life. May God bless us in that effort. But how do we do it? How do we do it? If you're sitting on the edge of a pew, I want to invite you uh, to pick up the little parchment pieces of paper and pass them down. And, and once you get those distributed to each person, if you will, return the extras back to the end of the pew. If you're sitting close to a windowsill, there should be extra copies there uh, in the windowsills for you if you need one. And I want to ask you if you would participate with me for the month of February for the rest of this month in an exercise. And I want you to realize I'm not suggesting to you that if you don't do this, you're not a faithful Christian. I am asking you if you would participate in this to realize that under the old covenant, there was something very similar to what we're going to talk about over the next few minutes and what we've just read that they did. And it was to help them focus on the one God and to have that focus of God in their life at all times. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. You'll notice on one side is a blank template of a scroll, so to speak. I want to encourage you to write the Shema on the back of this. And I really mean write it, like not figure out how to print it on your computer. There's something valuable about writing something by hand. And so I took some time last night, and, and that's what mine looks like, all right? And, and so, and, and by the way, if, if you haven't, and we don't have time to develop this again, but everything I'm asking you to do, we just read it right here, okay? So they, they, they were told to write it themselves. And, and so they, they wrote this down. The second thing that I want you to do is think about who's in your house that you could teach that to. If you have children, will you spend the month of February saying, I'm going to make sure that my children learn the Shema. Third, no matter who is in your house, will you talk about this, the one true God, and devoting your life to God, your heart, your soul, and your strength? And will you also talk about it 
when you go throughout your day, wherever you go. The fourth thing I'd like to ask you to do that this passage is giving us the example is, will you say this out loud every morning and every night? And I don't know to you if you're thinking, that's kind of weird. I want to tell you what it kind of is. It's kind of powerful. What if the first words that come out of your mouth each morning is, Lord our God, you are one. I will love you today with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind. And I'll keep your commandments in my heart. God, today I'll teach others about you. Today, if I'm sitting in my house or if I'm going on my way, from first thing in the morning to late in the evening, I want your ways ruling my life. And what if those were the words that came out of your mouth at the end of a day? What if those are the words you fell asleep to? How powerful could this be to help us to draw near to God? But then notice also, they were told to post them. As you think about posting them, I know that some of you are going to think, this is kind of strange. I want to ask you to post that on your door, on the doorway, so that if you're walking into your bedroom, it's head high, and you notice it. Or you may want to post it in, at, at your door that, that you enter and exit your house. They even posted it on their gates so that as they were leaving their property, they would see it as they were going about their way. And if there's a few of you in here, isn't it neat that if there are a few of you that live in the same house, it'll be on several doors throughout the house. Why? Why were they commanded by God to do that? It wasn't just an exercise to say, can you be faithful and keep this? It was an exercise to help draw their lives, to draw them to God. It isn't just about doing, but it's about drawing to God. I want you to imagine the sign of respect if you had an older father in a room and you had one of his children back in another room and you hear a weak voice say, son, daughter, hear, hear, O Israel. What would you do out of respect? I hear the voice of my father. I want to draw near to him. I want to listen to what he would ask of me, what he would expect of me. I want to listen to how I can serve his cause. Will you this month look at this exercise as an opportunity for you to draw near to God? Where all day, every day, you're saying, God, I want to draw near you. I want to hear you. I love you. I've devoted my heart to you. You are my one God. You are the one God. And I give my all to you. This morning, if we can help you with that decision, with that commitment, we're about to sing a song of encouragement and, and we'd love to encourage you to live for God. If, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ, we'd love to assist you to be immersed into Christ. 
If you need the prayers of the church and you want to confess sin and pray forgiveness, we'd love to offer prayers. We'd love to, to talk to the Heavenly Father on your behalf. Or if later you want to just sit down and study, we'd love to sit down and visit with you, study with you, encourage you, however. But listen, the first thing we have to do is choose God. But then the next thing we have to do is decide, am I going to love Him with all of my being? Because He's the one true God. If